Well, Merry Christmas. It is good to see you all. And uh, we're going to do things, a few things a little different today. We wanted this to kind of feel like a relaxed and family feel. So Pastor Lewis is here, and he's going to come and read, uh, have a little moment, actually, with our kids. So if you're a kid, that's your, by your own definition, we want you to come down. So young, young people, come on down. You get to decide if, how, how old that, okay, here comes Miss Sue. I, 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 sh I saw that coming, absolutely. Come on down, guys, and Merry Christmas to you. Seat, we'll do this like story time. What do you think? You want to sit down right here? May I stand? I, I wish you would. Know. That'd be great. You can make sure that I don't mess up any of the words because I'll be reading upside down. Now, let me ask you something. I've always thought at Christmas time, Jesus was born in a barn. What did the animals think about that? I always think that animals have a different look at it than I do. So we found this book. My friend Elise found this book for me, and I want to read it to you. And it's kind of the story of Christ's birth from the view of the animals. All right? And it goes like this. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the stable, not a creature was stirring, though plenty were able." The ox and the cow and the goat and the sheep, all comfy and cozy, had drifted to sleep. The morning doves snuggled all warm in their nest while the chickens and the chicks settled down for a rest. With smell of fresh hay having sweet in the air, the critters all slumbered without any care. Then out in the darkness, a star lit the night, shining so brilliant, so pure, and so bright, the stable grew lighter as if it were day, till the rooster arose, crowing loudly to say, rise and shine, everybody, cock-a-doodle-doo. The ox and the sheep grunted. <laughs> the cow softly mood and in a few moments each one was awake confused and bewildered was there some mistake they squinted and they gaped at the glistening star and then they heard a clip-clopping sound from afar but after a while the clip-clopping grew close and right through the door pushed a brown, fuzzy nose, and went, Ugh. The animals stared with their mouths open wide as a man and a woman came right inside. After heaping the hay to make her a bed, the man rolled a blanket to pillow her head. The woman looked weary and tired and worn, like she had been traveling since earliest morn. And there in the stable, still flooded with light, they settled back down for a long winter's night. Kind of like last night, cold. But just as the critters began to drift to sleep, a startling noise interrupted their sleep. The woman cried sharply like she was in pain, and all of the critters awakened again. 
They waited and they listened and they watched with wide eyes. Then to their relief, they heard a baby cry. So that's what the problem was. It wasn't real danger. The animals smiled at the babe in their manger. Then just as it seemed the excitement was done, the animals realized it had only begun. For in the night sky there arose such a ringing with hundreds of angels all joyfully singing. Peace on the whole earth and goodwill to us all for God's only son has been born in a stall. Then down from the hills the shepherds all poured to see the sweet baby, they called him the Lord. They wept and they worshipped and they fell to their knees, praying and praising as long as they pleased. And off in the distance, three learned men smiled, then followed the star that would lead to the child. They'd bring him great gifts of incredible worth to give to the king, to know, to honor birth but back in the stable the critters were awed to know that this child was the true son of God and so they bowed down and they worshiped the king and in their own way sweet praise did they sing to Jesus they sang so the real and so right a blessed Christmas to all and to all a good night Okay, friends, Merry Christmas. I hope you have the rest of the day. It's great for you as well. And I want to see you guys next week, okay? Bye, y'all. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas again. It is Sunday morning. The next time this happens, uh, if you, you want to, might check me on this, but the next time Christmas happens on Sunday, I think is in 2033. So that's a little bit away as the leap year kind of messes that up or changes it. But next year, uh, Christmas Eve will be on Sunday. Again, check me on this. I think we've got that right. Uh, which means that we'll be here for our Christmas Eve services. And typically what we do is kind of stretch those out over the course of the day. So as you're planning next year, you'll have probably a morning option and an afternoon option and an evening option. It just changes every year. It's never quite the same. But we had a great Christmas Eve uh, celebration last night, and uh, we kind of made some adjustments because of the weather. And it was a good night. And I'm not going to preach the same sermon this morning, so, uh, but it will be brief, and uh, that will be part of my Christmas present to you. Um, the other thing is that at the end, Jenny, Jenny and I are going to uh, offer a song, and that might be a good present or it might be, you know, like, you know, bad socks, but you'll, you'll get to decide. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Two little boys uh, kept getting in trouble, and their mother finally just was exasperated by it, and so she called in the local priest to back her up and get some help. 
And so uh, he took the older brother in and sat him down and said, young man, do you know where God is? The little boy was terrified. Didn't know what to say. So much so that he ran out of the room straight to his younger brother in the hallway who was waiting his turn. And he said, listen, it's bad. They can't find God and they're trying to pin it on us. <laughs> if you ask anybody where God is, our natural, our natural inclination is to answer this way. So, you know, this is Christmas morning. Kind of, let's get into it. If you say where God is, where do we tend to point? Up, right? But Christmas, as Lewis just read, brings it right back down to the earth. The answer, surprisingly, to the question, where is God, is not this. It's, it's this. And what we mean by that is, is, is actually really important. We call it incarnation, the word made flesh. It is this paradox of God being God and yet God being present. God being transcendent, but God being imminent. God being who God is in all his fullness and yet somehow contained, somehow brought into human realities. Christmas resets where we expect to find God. And it's good news. Uh, it's God in our daily lives. God present in our highs and in our lows. God guiding us through the circumstances of our lives, and most importantly, God in all of our relationships. The thing maybe that Christmas sets, resets most for us is our understanding of how things work down here because of how, uh, how Jesus has, has shown us um, that uh, it is very much about God's presence in, uh, in relationship with us. And that resets our relationships with each other. And we're kind of not used to that. Uh, in fact, Greg Boyle says this about us, that we're, we're pretty prone to settle for something less than the thing that Christmas offers. He says, human beings are settlers, not in the pioneer sense of being a settler. It's our human occupation, occupational hazard to settle for little. We settle for purity and piety when we're being invited into exquisite holiness. We settle for fear-driven, when love longs to be our engine. We settle for a puny, vindictive God when we are being nudged always closer to this wildly inclusive, larger-than-life God. We allow our sense of God to atrophy. We settle for the illusion of separation. And I want to say that phrase again. We settle for the illusion of separation when we are endlessly asked to enter into kinship with all. And Christmas breaks down that illusion of separation. God is not out there, up there, a concept far away. That, that distance has been, been bridged. The, the gap has been closed. There is no separation. God is with us. And that understanding of God with us comes from the prophets. It was part of the expectation, the longing for of the people of God. We expect to God, find God up there. We instead discover over and over again that, that God is not so distant. 
And that comes from the, the word Emmanuel, God with us, or as we've been saying this year in Advent, the with us God. And that, that phrase comes from Isaiah chapter 7. The context is that the, the, the people of Israel have been divided into two kingdoms. The southern kingdom of Judah is now being pressed in on by not one, but two nations. And there is sort of an understanding that it's not going to be long before this all comes to an end. The Bible says they were not only afraid, that they were uh, like trees shaken by the wind. And in the midst of their fear, God sends the prophet Isaiah to the king, King Ahaz, to make him and the people a promise. And this is what we read in Isaiah 7. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says, it's not going to happen. Now, uh, that is easy to say, it's hard to, to remember. In fact, most of us are, are actually prone to think that bad things are going to happen. It's been estimated that 85% of the things that you and I worry about never do happen. One a set of experiments, social science experiments, asked people to write down their worries over an extended period of time and identify which ones came true or not. When people look back, not only did they discover that uh, about 85% of the things that they worried about never happened, but in the 15% that did, it, most of those weren't nearly as bad as they expected. So they concluded, researchers concluded that about 97% of what we worry about is, is not worth worrying about at all. Well, how are you doing with that? <laughs> it's easier said than done. And so is the case with Ahaz, who was scared for the people of God. You know, Mark Twain said, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. And that's true. So Isaiah says, it will not pl take place. It won't happen. But that's probably not good enough. And it probably isn't good enough for us just to know this in our heads. It takes something else. And so this is what the prophet says. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. The virgin will give, will give birth to a son. Now, scholars disagree on who that probably was, but it's clearly someone who lived in that time. And we're talking 700 years before Christ. 700 years this expectation was set out it is perhaps uh, another woman and a child that lived during that time. But maybe most likely it was one of the wives of the king himself. And so the idea was that you're going to have a baby and you're going to give him a name. You're going to call him Emmanuel. And so every time you say, hey, little Emmanuel, come over here, what you do is you remind yourself, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord himself will give you a reminder of this, this truth that we tend to forget. God is with us. And by the time he's old enough to know right and wrong, you're going to see all of this play out and it it's not going to happen the way that you think. 700 years before Christ. And so through the history of the people, this expectation would come up. We gotta remind ourselves somehow that God is with us. And them, like us, struggle to remember, have trouble remembering the sign. And so 
God himself takes that on. And so the gospel writer Matthew says, in the claim, this makes this claim in the birth of Jesus. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Little did they know how much this would be true. A God who comes down bridges the gap himself to dispel the illusion of separation and forever change our understanding of where he is, but also where we are in the mix. There's a great book called The Anatomy of Peace, and it tells us how, how to live with this sense of peace in, in our hearts. Uh, there are two books, the sin, uh, uh, the, but the, I'm trying to blank it on the, the other one. It's, um, I'll, I'll think of it in a second. This doesn't matter because the anatomy of peace is the, is, is the one I'm talking about. And um, the, the anatomy of peace is about how we live with peace in our hearts and how we understand our relationships with each other. And it tells a story of a girl named Jenny. Jenny's parents were taking her as uh, a troubled youth to a program for people struggling with addiction. And when she got there, she refused to get on the bus with the other participants. In fact, she ran away. And she ran off by foot and to the point that the leaders of the program had a choice. What do they do with the problem? Do they A, give up on her, or B, do they take off following her until she would join in in, in their program to try to help her? And um, what they chose instead was to follow her on foot and ensure that she stayed safe, not forcing her, but not leaving her alone either. When they caught up with her, they looked down and noticed something surprising. She had run off and had forgotten her shoes. She was running around on the hot pavement without shoes on her feet. And so one of the leaders kept, they were still inviting her to come along, inviting her in. She was continuing to run, did something unexpected. One of the leaders took off her shoes and offered them to Jenny. Jenny, again, didn't re respond to their invitation and kept running. And when she did, the leader did something even more unexpected. She decided to run with her without any shoes on. She left her shoes off as they followed this young girl around for three hours, running around in their bare feet until their feet were beat up in the process, until finally Jenny went into a shopping mall and found some friends of hers. She complained to them about how her parents were trying to make her go and do this program and pointed out the leaders who had been following her, trying to get her to come as well. And then one of the friends looked down and saw that the leader's feet were bleeding and that she was shoeless. And she said, I don't know, Jenny, maybe you should give it a try. And so the girl eventually asked the leaders some questions that she had and agreed to go with them. But when someone asked the leaders about why in the world they would chase this girl around without any shoes on, what good would that do? They simply explained. It was a way of entering her world. It was a way of being with her in the struggle. Malcolm Guyatt has written a little poem about the, the God who comes with us in the struggle. It is called, O Emmanuel, and he writes, O come, O come, and be our God with us, O long-sought witness in a world without 
O secret seed, O hidden spring of light, come to us wisdom, come unspoken name, come root and key and king and holy flame. O quickened little wick, so tightly curled, be folded with us into time and place, unfold for us the mystery of grace and make a womb of all this wounded world. O heart of heaven beating in the earth, O tiny hope within our hopelessness, Come to be born, to bear us to our birth, to touch a dying world with new-made hands, and make these rags of time our swaddling bands. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel, and he will forever be a reminder of the thing that we are most likely to forget, that God is not up there God is down here and in here, and that makes all the difference. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this truth that changes our world, knowing full well that again and again we are prone to forget that you are not far off. And so in the midst of our fears and our concerns, the worries that plague us and the ways in which we tend to catastrophize and forget, would you yourself be our reminder, Emmanuel, God with us? And may that begin to reshape the way we see our world and may it reset our expectations so that we would no longer settle but long for and continue to wait for the fuller thing that you offer through your great love, through your unending grace, the way in which you are the light of the world. For this we give thanks and we are in wonder in Jesus' name.